Uh, the words of our text for this evening are found in Hebrews 11, verse 4. Uh, these words. Uh, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which that is by the faith, not by the sacrifice, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and by it he being dead yet speaketh. This whole chapter, beloved, you must remember is written for believers. Of course, all scripture is written for the people of God. But this particular chapter emphasizes throughout that God's people are believers and that they act and live by faith. Only from the principle and the motive of faith can we understand the lives of the believers at all. All that is not of faith for the same reason really does not belong in and to the life of the people of God. And in this chapter you must remember that too in the rest, in the whole rest of the chapter, uh, several examples of the old dispensation are given unto you as people of God. Examples that serve as it is expressed in the first verse of the next chapter, as a cloud of witnesses. These examples are examples of the people of God as they live by the faith as it is defined in the first verse of the chapter. And not faith in general, 
uh, but faith in a very particular and specific sense of the word. A faith as it is the assurance of things unseen. And faith as it is the confidence of things that are hoped for. From that point of view, we therefore must consider all these different examples. And, beloved, we really must remember this. And when I try to explain some of these examples to you, you must ask yourself, uh, do I really have that faith? Uh, do I not only have that faith, uh, but do I really live from that faith. Is that my life? Do I live in the midst of the world as an other example of that living faith uh, that is the assurance of things unseen and that is the evidence, the confidence of things hoped for? you will find uh, that uh, the people of God, the examples uh, that are mentioned here in this chapter are examples from the people of God of the old dispensation and show their lives as lives of faith from almost every possible angle. The uh, epistle, and especially this chapter, uh, therefore intends to encourage you, uh, to instruct you, to comfort you, and to charge you to walk in that faith. All kinds of angles are presented in this chapter. Always the viewpoint is faith. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch walked with God. By faith, Abraham left his country, not knowing whither he went. By faith, Sarah conceived and bare Isaac, and so on and so forth. And the question is, do we, as people of God, in the present century, 
in altogether different circumstances, but nevertheless, very really in the midst of the world, do we do the same thing? Do we offer a better sacrifice than Cain? Do we walk with God? Do we live as strangers in the earth? And so forth. Before that concrete question, and in the future before all those concrete questions, the Lord willing, you and I are to be placed when we study this 11th chapter of the Hebrews. In the present verse, the question is, uh, do we, like Abel, offer a better sacrifice than Cain? Uh, do we uh, get the testimony from God uh, by that faith whereby we offer that sacrifice uh, that we are righteous? Really? Uh, do our lives and our deaths speak as did Abel's death? For when he was dead, he still spoke. That's the question. And therefore, beloved, remembering these things, we will speak a few moments to you on this a better sacrifice, the better sacrifice of evil. Uh, what is it, that better sacrifice? How is it offered, that better sacrifice? And what blessings followed? from the faith that made that better sacrifice, the better sacrifice, what it is, how it was offered, is blessings. Abel, beloved, was Cain's brother, as we know. According to some, and I think there's a reason in the Bible, a little reason anyway, although scripture does not say so definitely. He was uh, Cain's twin's brother. Cain was born first, and Abel was born second as his twin brother, they say. I say once more, uh, the Bible doesn't say that definitely, but there is reason in the text to uh, receive that interpretation uh, for we always read in scripture and so and so conceived and bare a son and so and so conceived and bare again we read that Eve conceived and bare Cain 
but we do not read that Eve conceived again and bare Abel. It is undoubtedly from that fact that the suggestion is drawn that Abel was the twin brother of Cain. It makes very little difference. The fact is that those two brothers had a good deal in common. They were at least as sons of the same parents, Adam and Eve. They were sons of the first parents, and that is important. They were, in the outward sense of the word, both covenant children. They were born in the church. They undoubtedly had the same education, an education they received from their parents, Adam and Eve. And I think uh, that education uh, that Adam and Eve uh, gave to their children was altogether unique and very definite. We probably think uh, that there was not so much of the truth to be instructed in those days, but I think if I have that idea, why well, I mistaken. Adam and Eve could tell Cain and Abel about something which we can never know, which they knew by experience. They had stood in perfect knowledge, righteousness, and holiness after the image of God. And they had sinned. They had fallen away from that blessed state of righteousness and knowledge and holiness in which God had created them. They had been driven out of paradise. And above all, beloved, they had made the experience which we shall never make, which no man can ever make again they experience from life into death. They had lived. They had really lived. They had experienced the fellowship with God. And from that blessed state, 
that fallen into the darkness of death. From mere memory, Adam and Eve could instruct their children as no parents could ever instruct them again. And undoubtedly, they did. And not only could they instruct them in their own experience, but they also could instruct them in the word of God. God had spoken to them. Not only in the state of righteousness, but also after they had fallen. We do not know how that speech of God was at that time. We cannot understand that even, but nevertheless, it is very definite from Scripture that God had already given to Adam and Eve the gospel, the promise. The essential gospel was already there. For the essence of the gospel is always in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. In that truth, the truth of the experience of Adam and Eve in the state of righteousness, and of the experience of their fall, and of the gospel that had come to them in the first promise, Adam and Eve could instruct and did instruct Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain and Abel, beloved, also had this in common, uh, that they were what we would call now uh, both religious. They were religious. They were not really both truly religious in the spiritual sense, but they were religious. They were church members. They were all like our own children. That is evident from the fact that they sacrificed. They sacrificed. They went through the outward motions of religion. For the rest, there was a very fundamental difference between the two boys. The difference was not so much in what they did in the natural sense. Uh, Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a farmer, tiller of the ground. Well, perhaps that was in harmony with their own makeup. Abel means, uh, from the Hebrew, uh, one that is weak. Abel was not strong, was not physically strong. Cain was strong, Cain was a man. When Eve saw Cain, she said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. Maybe she thought it was already the promise. 
Uh, but the fundamental difference between Cain and Abel was spiritual. Abel was God-fearing. Cain was wicked. And that, beloved, uh, that fact uh, that Abel was a child of God, a child of the promise in the spiritual sense, and that Cain was a reprobate, wicked, although they both offered sacrifices became very evident in the fact that Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Both, as I say, offered. The original word in the Hebrew and partly also in this uh, text in Genesis in the Greek uh, for offering means really gift. It's rather a general expression. It means gift. And therefore, beloved, both Cain and Abel offered gifts to God. You understand uh, that uh, that can never mean uh, that when one offers a gift to God, he gives something to God. That, of course, is impossible. The gift must always be an expression. Also, and all that we give to God must always be an expression of our part of the covenant can never be anything else. We can never say to God, here I give you something. God would think that an abomination, beloved. Of course. You cannot give anything to God. But, if in the gift to God, that gift is an expression of our part of the covenant of God, then, and then only, can God be pleased with it. You know what our part of the covenant is, as it is expressed in the baptism form, uh, namely, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength, that we trust in him, and that we forsake the world, and that we crucify our old nature, that we walk in a new and holy life. If our offering to God, our gift to God is not an attempt to enrich God, 
or an attempt uh, to merit something with God which is impossible, uh, but is the expression of that covenant love and trust and confidence and praise and glory of the Lord our God, then, no matter what, what we may say for the rest about the sacrifice of Cain and of Abel, as we shall explain presently, no matter uh, what that character of that sacrifice is, always if the gift is an expression of our part of the covenant, it is acceptable to God, otherwise it is not. But there's more. We read in the text, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, a better sacrifice. You understand, of course, beloved, that in a way this is a euphemism. It is an expression uh, that seems to almost to indicate that Cain also offered a, a good sacrifice, but Cain offered a better sacrifice. That is not the idea at all, as is very evident from the rest of this text and from the history. No, no. Uh, Cain did not offer a sacrifice, and Abel offered a little better sacrifice. No, the comparison must be taken in the absolute sense of the word. Abel, uh, Abel offered a good sacrifice before God, pleasing to God. Cain offered a sacrifice, but no good whatsoever. And the question is, beloved, and that's the question that has been often asked in this connection, uh, was uh, that fact uh, that Cain offered a better sacrifice uh, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain, uh, merely to be explained in the subjective attitude of both, or was there something in the gift itself, in the offering uh, that Abel offered, in distinction from the offering of Cain, that made the offering more acceptable to God. Most interpreters take the former view. They say the objective sacrifice, the material of the sacrifice, really has nothing to do with the fact that Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. It was only a question of the heart. It was only a question of the attitude of Cain's heart and mind in relation to God uh, that made his sacrifice unacceptable before God, while Abel's was accepted. Uh, the fact uh, that Abel 
offered a bloody sacrifice. Abel offered a sacrifice of the sheep, of the herd. And Cain offered a sacrifice of the fruits of the soil. According to them, has nothing to do with the fact that Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. All a question of the heart. If Abel had only offered that fruit of the ground, according to them, uh, from a hut filled with love and consecration and trust in the Lord, uh, that would have been perfectly acceptable to God. But he didn't. He was wicked. And now, beloved, there's certainly an element of truth in that interpretation. It's certainly true that the spiritual attitude of one that offers anything to the Lord is essential. No matter what we offer, if the offering is not an expression of our love, of our trust, of our consecration to God, that offering can never be accepted. God looks at the heart. Nevertheless, beloved, I think that if Cain had been a child of God, if Cain had known himself, if Cain had assumed the right attitude and relation to God, he would never have come with the fruit of the ground. I don't believe that. You may say, oh yes, but that's all Cain had. That, uh, that Cain offered of the fruit of the ground, and that Abel offered uh, of the sheep, was simply a matter of fact, simply a matter that was lay in the nature of the case, because uh, Cain was a tiller of the ground, and Abel was a shepherd. Yes, yes, yes. But, beloved, you can tell me that Cain had no sheep, or that Cain had no cattle, I never knew of a farmer that had no cattle. And Cain certainly could have had a sheep from Abel if he wanted to. That was not, not the idea at all. Oh, no. Abel offered a better sacrifice also objectively because he offered a bloody sacrifice. He offered of the sheep. And in fact, beloved, I think that made all the difference between the two sacrifices. Abel offering a bloody sacrifice humbled himself as a sinner before God.
In offering that bloody sacrifice, he said to God, I am completely unworthy. I have no right. That was the idea. I have no right to come before thy face with anything at all. I have no right to come before thy face with my face. with my body, with my soul, with my actions, with my worship, with my prayer. I have no right, no right. I'm a cast out. He humbled himself into nothing, into worse than nothing before God. And beloved, when we live by faith, don't forget, that is always the very essential thing which we do. Always. First, and fundamentally. The question is, do, do we offer a sacrifice as Abel offered before God? Is that the que that's the question, beloved. We must uh, bring this text uh, before you as it concrete, uh, concretely appeals and applies to you and to me. Do we bring this sacrifice to God? The sacrifice of a humble Contract broken spirit. If not, all our sacrifices are no good. That's first. Secondly, when Abel offered this better sacrifice, this bloody sacrifice, but Cain came with the fruits of the ground. He said to God, I look at the things unseen. I look at the things unseen in the light of that promise. And the thing unseen was the blood of the cross. When he offered a better sacrifice, when he offered a bloody sacrifice, as he had been taught by undoubtedly by Adam and Eve, as he had been taught undoubtedly by God himself, as he offered a bloody sacrifice, beloved, he said to God in that bloody sacrifice, Please, O oh God, I am nothing, but Christ is all. He didn't say Christ, but we say Christ, and he said the same thing. He said the same thing, beloved. He, he did not know the name Christ yet, but he knew that God had promised to see. 
the seed that would crush the head of the shepherd and redeem his people. And so, he said, the basis on which I can approach thee, O my God, is not myself, but it is in Christ only. Do we bring that sacrifice of Christ, beloved? Abel offered the sacrifice of Christ. He did. That is, he offered the sacrifice that was a figure of Christ. Do we the same thing? Oh, we do not offer the sacrifice of Christ in the Roman Catholic sense. No, but nevertheless, beloved, we offer the sacrifice of Christ as it now has been fulfilled. Same sacrifice. Do we? When we offer that sacrifice of Christ now in the new dispensation, we say also to God, as Abel did, I'm unworthy. My righteousness is not, is not in myself, but is in the promised one. We say the same thing. We look at the sacrifice of Christ. Look back at the sacrifice that has been offered already on Golgotha. And looking at that sacrifice of Christ, we say, that's all about righteousness. There's no righteousness apart from that. All my works amount to absolutely nothing. My righteousness is before God and Christ Jesus. That was the better sacrifice than Abel, than Cain, beloved. And he brought it by faith. Only way in which we can bring any sacrifice uh, that is acceptable to God is by faith. So that Abel. What is faith? Faith is always the same, beloved. And whether it was the faith of Adam and Eve, or the faith of Abel, or the faith of Noah, or the faith of Abraham, or the faith of David, is principally always the same. Faith is the bond, the living bond, uh, that unites us with Christ Jesus. That's the only faith there is. Another faith there is not. We can speak of other kinds of faith, historical faith, and miraculous faith, and so on and so forth. That's all right. We have nothing to do with that just now, beloved. Essentially, there is what, what one kind of faith, uh, surely only one kind of faith that is acceptable to God, only one kind of faith by which we can be redeemed, and that is the faith that unites us with the living bond to Christ. 
to the Christ of the Scriptures. That's faith. I mean, beloved, by such a bond by which our heart, let me say it this way, by which our heart is engrafted into the heart of Christ. Just as a little, little tree is planted by the roots into the soil, so a believer is planted by the roots of faith into Christ. Christ, the whole Christ, the Christ of God, the Christ that is the Son of God in the flesh, the Christ that died for our sins on Golgotha, historically, historically, he died there, beloved. The Christ that was raised on the third day that ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father, that poured out his spirit into his church, and that will come again. That whole Christ is the soil in which faith strikes its roots, so that we are, by the roots of faith, planted into Christ. And so that by those roots of faith we draw everything out of Christ that is in him. That is faith. All the blessings of salvation, all of grace and mercy and redemption, all of life and love, all that is in Christ Jesus. That's all in Him, beloved. It's all in Him. We draw out of Him into our own heart by that living bond of faith. That's faith. And that faith Abel had as well as we have it. Oh, it was perhaps more an assurance of things unseen as it is now with us. We have more knowledge, beloved. We have more knowledge of the gospel. Christ has come. Christ was born. Christ has died. Christ is raised. Christ is ascended. Christ has poured out his spirit. We have the whole gospel, which Abel had not yet. Nevertheless, Abel had the same faith and the same Christ as we have, beloved. Faith 
is the knowledge, the spiritual knowledge of Christ. Faith is the confidence, the spiritual confidence in Christ. That knowledge and that spiritual confidence Abel had just as well as we have, although he could not have explained it as clearly and as fully as we do today. Nevertheless, he did. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Faith as an evidence of things unseen. He did not see. He did not see the Christ. Oh, neither do we. Abel did not see the Christ of the future, neither do we see the Christ in the past. We do not see the cross, we do not see the resurrection, we do not, do not see the historical events that took place 1920, uh, 2000 years ago almost. Oh no, we do not see any more than, than Abel saw, but an evidence of things unseen. By the evidence of things unseen, Abel saw the Christ in the light of the promise. So do we, as an evidence of things unseen, see the Christ in the light of the gospel. And that was the blessing, beloved. That was the blessing. Notice. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. In other words, beloved, through the faith by which Abel offered that better sacrifice than Cain, he became doubly justified. Doubly. Let me explain that last part of the text first. He being dead yet speaketh. You understand that refers to the text in Genesis 4, beloved that speaks of uh, the blood of Abel crying from the ground. And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And that blood of Abel, beloved, was also crying from the ground at the time when the Lord spoke his 23rd chapter of the gospel according to Matthew, the blood of Abel from Abel to Zechariah cried to the ground, uh, from the ground to Jehovah Sebaoth. That blood always cries from the ground. Abel died as a martyr. Don't forget that. He died as a martyr. 
give us witness. No doubt when we read in that uh, ninth verse of chapter 4 of Genesis uh, that Abel and Cain talked together. You must understand, beloved, uh, that Abel witnessed to his brother of his wicked sacrifice. He must have said to his brother in the field, you mustn't sacrifice this stuff. That's no good. You must humble yourself. You must become a sinner. You must not try to give any, anything to God. You must look at the promise. At the coming Christ. And while they so talked in the field, beloved, in the field, Cain killed his brother. A martyr. Cain didn't want to hear it anymore. He killed him. He killed him for his faith's sake. And Cain, uh, Abel, was the first martyr. And therefore, the blood of Abel and the blood of all the people of God, the blood of the whole church, with Christ in the midst, Christ to Jehovah Zebaoth. And Abel, by that very voice that Christ to God is justified before God, over against the wicked Cain, and the church is justified before God over against the wicked world and over against the anti-Christian world. That first, by it being dead, he yet speaketh. Beloved, another element in this example of evil, how about us? Oh, we do not have to, we do not have to, have to die for our faith, do we? But uh, it isn't so uh, far off, beloved. It isn't so inconceivable uh, that uh, that time may come and that time may be near. And at any rate, we live in the midst of the world, do we not? Uh, do we witness? Do we? Uh, do we witness over against the canes of the world? Of the blood of Christ? Oh, it's so easy to witness when you say, come to Jesus and uh, be saved and so on and so forth, as long as you uh, uh, simply leave that Jesus at the hands of the sinner. But, beloved, that's not Jesus. If you witness of the blood of Christ. You condemn, you condemn the world. You condemn the world wherever you go, wherever you are, in whatever sphere you live. Do we? If we do, our blood crieth also to Jehovah Sebaoth and we shall be justified in the day of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, I would almost say, 
the negative justification of Abel, but he had more than that. He had a positive justification. He obtained by that faith by which he offered the bloody sacrifice, he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying to his gifts. That's the greatest blessing of all, beloved. Greatest blessing of all. We do not have to ask how that testimony of God came to Abel in the way we know. I think even that testimony of God that came to Abel was not so strange, beloved. It may be, it may have been that God revealed himself definitely to Abel and that he said to Abel that his offerings were accepted. That's not impossible, but that's not necessary at all. Not necessary at all. Abel had the promise, beloved. Abel had the promise. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise the head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That's the promise. And that promise of God is the basis of our faith. In the light of the promise, God speaking through that promise by his spirit to Abel, he was righteous. Does you see? That's the only way God speaks now. God speaks now to you in that same way. Through the sacrifice of Christ and through his resurrection, through the realization of the promise, God speaks to you. This Bible doesn't, beloved. This Bible doesn't. This Bible is dead. I don't. I cannot possibly speak to you in a way that gives you the assurance that you're righteous before God. No, no, no. But if you get the promise of the gospel, as Abel had, and as we have more fully. And if God, through the preaching of that promise here tonight, speaks to you himself as he does, speaks to your heart, then you receive the testimony that you are righteous before God and righteous forever. That's the gospel. All oh, the gospel, as Abel had it, was more simple. It's true. He didn't know so much to make any difference. He knew all that was necessary, beloved, through the promise. God's testifying through the promise that his gifts were acceptable to God testifying that he was righteous and righteous forever. And now the final question is, beloved, no, I won't say that either. I'd rather speak positively. I know that no matter how little your faith may be, no matter how small no matter how weak, 
no matter how imperfect. And after all, I think Abel's faith was imperfect too. He was not, oh, he was not always standing in that faith in which he died. I say, no matter how weak and how imperfect and how, how little that faith may be, nevertheless, if you have heard the word of God tonight, through the preaching of the better sacrifice of Abel, you will also carry the testimony away with you in your heart, in your mind, in your confidence of faith that you are righteous before God. And that's all that matters. Amen. Thanks, O Lord, for the gospel. Thanks for thy truth. Thanks for the preaching of thy word. Apply unto us, O God. Speak thou thy word unto us, not only tonight, but constantly and always, even during the days of the week before us, in order that we may have the testimony, the precious testimony that we are righteous before thee. Amen.